We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. On September 8th, 2015, the first episode of Set Lusting Bruce was released. To celebrate our anniversary month, I plan to put out a new episode every day this month. If you're not part of our Patreon group, please think about supporting the podcast by making a small monthly donation. Everyone who joins gets a personal thank you card from me and a Set Lusting Bruce sticker. During this month, I'd love to get some new reviews on iTunes and other podcast players. If you haven't rated the podcast before, please go to wherever you get your podcast and leave a rating, hopefully five star, and let people know why you love the podcast. Hope you enjoy this month of episodes. And now on to the show. I remember when we were kids, we'd go down to the Jersey Shore a lot. We, we went to Seaside Heights. Uh, which is where the the Shore, Jersey Shore takes place, if, for those unfamiliar. And that show is accurate to Seaside Heights, let me say. Like, okay. It's not the culture of the whole Jersey Shore, but that is accurate to Seaside Heights. And growing up every summer, you go and you win the board games. There was always Bruce posters to win or Bruce, it was inescapable. It was like Santa Claus at the North Pole. But my Saul on the road to Damascus moment, um, for those who grew up Catholic, was my cousin got and i had born in the usa and i had born to run i don't even know when i got them i just had them um i was born in 1973 so born in the usa was released when i was 11 but and i had born to run somehow before i just had it it came with you're born with it but my cousin got the live 80 75 to 85 set for christmas and he brought it to my house so this was christmas 1986 and he left it there by accident on christmas night and i put on racing in the street and there was just something about that that absolutely and i was 13 but it just it was like nothing i had ever heard before and it had a depth and a sincerity and and it, it was a much wider lens than any music that i had ever heard and that was literally i went out to my parents and my birthday is right after the new year and i was like i need this for my birthday and i wore out five separate this is a true story i wore out five separate copies of because it was on on cassette i bought it on cassette and we just wore them out i wore out five separate copies of 7585 listening to that on nonstop for the next until tunnel of love came out Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are joining, we're here the day after it was announced that Bruce is facing a little medical issues. And I love someone on X or Twitter said, Bruce Springsteen fans all Googling 
septic ulcer. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, Chris is joining me, Chris Collins. We're going to talk a little Bruce. We're going to talk about tour. We're going to talk about set lists. And I'm also going to hear all about his fandoms. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. A Jersey boy, first of all. So I, I always regret when I tell people I'm a Springsteen fan, they're like, oh, you're from Jersey. I'm like, well, that's not why. It certainly doesn't hurt, though. And these days I work in, in TV and film and stuff. But as a matter of fact, I got to work with Stevie Van Zandt on The Sopranos years ago, which was one of the great treats of my life. But yeah, that's Jersey guy. I now split my time between New York and, and California. What did you do on The Sopranos? I was the production coordinator, which is just the guy who gives out all the information every day, where we're going to shoot, where we're going to okay. do, that kind of uh, thing. So... I now want to ask you tons of questions about that, but I'm not. I will move on. Though I do laugh at, I remember once someone telling the story that trying to ask someone from Jersey when they first discovered Bruce is like asking them, so when did you know your parents used Tide laundry detergent? It's just always been there. It's just baked yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just, it's there. And I'm sad to admit, Chris, my, I have two major cliches. If I'm talking to someone in a business setting that is from Jersey, I will ask if they're a Bruce fan. And if someone is from the UK or has a British accent, I go, oh, you're a Doctor Who fan? There you go. <laughs> and half the time, especially when it's the UK, no. Oh, okay. Doctor Who, I think, is more of a cult thing. Yeah. Although Bruce arguably is too, but he's at least had mass appeal. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I always like to start at the beginning, Chris. Tell me, where did you grow up and what kind of music were you listening to when you were younger? What were your parents Um, listening to? I grew up in New New York City and then we moved to Jersey when I was uh, five or six. So basically Jersey. My parents didn't have a whole lot of music my mom listened to a lot of oldies in the oldie station cbs fm for those in the area and similar to i remember bruce actually telling a story on the jode tour saying that hearing his mom listen to all those records said basically there's a party out there and you're missing it and that's how i felt and my mom always had the kitchen the radio on in the kitchen and we'd listen to the beatles and chuck berry and little richard the, those are all on the oldies stations then and to me that's my formative music always will be like my it's like I came of age at the beginning of rock and roll even though I didn't because all the records I listened to are those 50s and 60s records over and over again and yeah that's still the DNA that's the building blocks um when you start getting teenage high school if you went to college did you abandoned your parents music or did you just widen your no i just widened it and to this day i graduated high school 30 some odd years ago and my dad just last week had to tell me how much he hates kurt cobain still so i definitely widened beyond their scope but yeah it was my my i can see that just a reminder I had to sit through your Nirvana yeah, phrase. Out of nowhere. He was like, yeah. you know who I hated? I hated that character, Cobain. <laughs> but yeah, and I went all over the place and it included Guns N' Roses hit me really hard. I love those guys. But I really went into old country, old blues. The Stones really got me into Muddy Waters, Helen Wolf, Little Walter, Robert Johnson, all of those guys. 
Bruce got me into Woody Guthrie and Hank Williams, which led me back to Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and all of that stuff. And then actually Bruce's association, I think probably with Peter Gabriel got me into a lot of like that broadened my horizons a lot, like African music and Use Who Endure and all of those those influences that Peter Gabriel introduced me to, which was I'm forever thankful for that stuff. So you mentioned Bruce has always been in the water, so to speak. But can you, is there a specific moment yeah. where he became more than just that guy that people talk about? And if yeah. so, what's that moment and what about his music caused you to feel that way? Yeah. Like you said, he was always part of the water. I remember when we were kids, we'd go down to the Jersey Shore a lot. We we went to Seaside Heights, uh, which is where the, the shirt. Sure, Jersey Shore takes place if, for those unfamiliar. And that show is accurate to Seaside Heights, let me say. Like, okay. It's not the culture of the whole Jersey Shore, but that is accurate to Seaside Heights. And growing up every summer, you go and you win the board games. There was always Bruce posters to win or Bruce. It was inescapable. It was like Santa Claus at the North Pole. But my Saul on the road to Damascus moment, um, for those who grew up Catholic, was my cousin got and I had born in the USA and I had born to run I don't even know when I got them I just had them um I was born in 1973 so born in the USA was released when I was 11 but and I had born to run somehow before I just had it it came with you're born with it but my cousin got the live 80 75 to 85 set for Christmas and he brought it to my house so this was Christmas 1986 and he left it there by accident on Christmas night and I put on racing in the street and there was just something about that that absolutely and I was 13 but it just it was like nothing I had ever heard before and it had a depth and a sincerity and and it, it was a much wider lens than any music that I had ever heard and that was literally I went out to my parents and my birthday is right after the new year and I was like I need this for my birthday and I wore out five separate, this is a true story. I wore out five separate copies of, because it was on, on cassette, I bought it on cassette and we just wore them out. I wore out five separate copies of 7585, listening to that nonstop for the next, until Tunnel of Love came out. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So I always like to preface this with the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. If you went to college in the 70s, early 70s in the Northeast, good chance you saw him a lot of times, right? right? Someone like me growing up in Louisiana, graduated high school in 77. I ended up not seeing him in 2002. But have can you count how many times you've seen him? I, I know it's in the hundreds. Okay. Between three and 400 somewhere, but I don't have an accurate count. I, I could do that someday, but I also was very lucky in that teenager at the Born in the USA tour. Then my high school graduation, just to date me, was no, I'm sorry, it was my confirmation gift was Tunnel of Love tour. But it was when that 
the 92, 93 tour really came around that I saw because he played 10 nights at the Meadowlands, saw all 10 of those. And then me and my my one of my best friend at the time, we just had, we didn't have a lot of money, but we just both had jobs and tickets that, you know, were 20 bucks or something like that. Yeah. And we just back then. Yeah. Quite honestly, that was a time when the diehards with the other band weren't knocking down the like they were all sellouts, but you could go to the parking lot and buy tickets for face value at almost any show, maybe five, 10 bucks above face value. If mm-hmm. you didn't get tickets legitimately and went to all of those in Jersey, Philly, Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. And that just continued for the other tours. And then, like I said, I got very lucky working on the Sopranos. And I know a lot of people in the fandom note and remember Harry, Harry Holly Cara Price, who was a wonderful, she worked for Stevie at the time, but she was just a wonderful conduit of fans and she got me into all those rehearsal shows and all of it so I, i've been very lucky yeah um my mm-hmm. is a i don't know if you've seen it but it's a website that has every tour and you can select which shows you've attended and i'll yeah, do a I lot do of behind the scenes yeah i am i never had holly on the podcast i just somehow it never worked out and then and i would have loved to do that because so many great stories so yeah. many great stories. And Holly, Holly goes back. She was following the band in 77 and then went to yeah. the UK. And like Holly's stories are legendary. So we're going to get back to Bruce, but I got to take a side note. How did you get in the entertainment industry? I just, I fell in. I, when I was in college, I went to Seton Hall in New Jersey. Max Weinberg went after I went, by the way. Okay. Um, Cause he went back to to college yeah. after the, the band took a, but he, I was interning, I was taking a film class and I just wrote letters to, I got, I don't know if pe- people might remember Premiere Magazine, which was a movie magazine in the nineties. And they had an issue with Robert De Niro on the cover. And it was about the film business coming to New York and like all the little production companies spreading up in New York. And I just wrote them all a letter, like an actual letter. And one got back to me and they hired me to to work at this place called Troma Films and they made little horror movies. And my first job was in Hoboken. I would sit outside a church at night and make sure nobody parked there for the trucks that were showing up the next morning and things like that. And then got lucky working on this other little movie and somebody w- got a job on The Sopranos and she hired me. And that was that. Are you still working in the industry? Yeah. Yeah, I just finished, and just like that, which is the the update of Sex and the City. Yeah, the first two seasons of that, and going back to a third as soon as the strike is over, whenever that may happen. Boy, the I just saw, and and no one knows, but I just saw someone posting that if it doesn't happen, let's say by October, that it won't be till january because they don't want to pay people for all the holidays exactly yeah Yeah. and october is the the deadline for to get something out for next summer and if they miss that they miss it anyway so they're not going to care much yeah it's a wild time it really is yeah and and we'll we'll get off this in a minute but as someone who i'm a big tv buff and just just love the creative process and do a lot of the podcasts i listen to are with writers and creative people and just the idea that it isn't like you've got two people two people in a room like okay chris let you and i figure this out it's they're just 
nope. We're just, you can't negotiate against yourself, right? That's exactly it. Yeah. It's disappointing and we'll see what happens. But, and I think one of the main problems is, and you probably read about this, is like, it's no longer media companies really, it's not in the old days where a movie studio was just a movie studio. Now yeah. they're tech companies and the movie is one arm yeah. of it. They don't really care if eh, Amazon doesn't care if it's a no. rounding era for Amazon. And that's what's frustrating is that they could do this very easy, get most people's demands and it would be, it yeah. would not hurt them much. But Ken Levine, who does a great podcast, he worked on Cheers and MASH and all this stuff. And he says, mm-hmm. used to be, there was someone in the producer side that had enough clout that would go, okay, this is bullshit and would get everyone in a room yes. and would make it happen. There is no guy right. or gal like that anymore. Yeah. It used to be like those old studio heads, Lou Wasserman or yeah. those old type of figures who like had political connections and maybe some mob connections and yeah. then connection, and they'd be like, all right, enough of this. Like everybody come, we're going to work out a deal that's going to make nobody happy, but we're going to move ahead. Yeah. And exactly. the, yeah, that, that person doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. yeah. Good thoughts for you yeah. and the, everyone Thanks. else where we're obviously wanting you guys and everyone that's involved for and it just hurts everyone it's just not the writers and the actors it's just it's all the people behind and it's it just is crazy yeah we started talking that we had mike dererko wrote a really long but i thought pretty interesting article about bruce's set list and so i'll set my thought first then i want to hear your thoughts is I absolutely understand people being disappointed that Bruce is not mixing it up much right now. Mm-hmm. And I think the people that have the biggest right to complain are the people that prepaid for the Nugs downloads. I think those guys, and I have a feeling Nugs may have made that right because I haven't heard a lot of complaints because I assumed I would be calling going, look, Bruce always, right now, I didn't pay for 40 copies of the same set list. Give me my money back. I understand being disappointed. I understand being a little feel like disappointed and unhappy, but I don't understand anger because it is what it is. But I want to hear your side of this, Chris. So talk about the static set list and your feelings and we'll have a conversation. Yeah. And I also, and I think we got to talking because I started out by saying respectfully disagree because what I disagreed with was not necessarily Mike's article because he makes some really good points in that over the course of his career from 78 at least on, and even the Born to Run tour was, he's had a story that he wants to tell with each tour and the each night is a variation on that story. And this is this tour is less of a variation on the story. And what I hear, what I assume is that doing the Broadway show has made him see that like doing the same exact thing every night, while it might have some disadvantages in terms of spontaneity, brings home a story to that audience every night. And I, that is something I intellectually understand. Um, I also do think though and my problem again was not necessarily with Mike's article I think Mike had 
some really good points. And I, I largely agree with him on those points. But I do think that people having some a lot of disappointment is natural, especially because given the last, especially the last E Street Band Tour, where set lists were so wild and you couldn't, since actually the reunion era, I think this, the set lists have, with the, the Rising Tour, had a, a story it really wanted to tell. But almost every other um, tour in the reunion era have had surprises that people couldn't have possibly seen coming. I remember when I saw Frankie in... 99 i like i was with my friend matt tirana and i turned to him i'm like am i dreaming we're, we're seeing bruce play frank like he's never even acknowledged that song never mind played it live in an arena and so for the last 20 years i think people have been going uh to see some of that and especially the hardcores who go two or three nights so i can understand that what bothered me was not necessarily and i'm oh sorry Didn't no i was just gonna say the right I remember I was in an outdoor arena, a venue, seeing the old 97s, but we were there to see Madison King, which was a singer-songwriter. We had stumbled into a bar, and I remember Twitter blowing up because, oh, my God, he's playing Iceman. He was, I think, that Charlotte or something. Yeah. And I thought Springsteen Internet was going to break. Yes. And there was some sense that all of those things you thought you would never, because I'm sure you came of age in the same time I would, when you, I went through billions of record shops looking for, I had heard about these outtakes from Born in the USA, but I never saw them. This is before the internet. You had to drive around, you had to go to record shops, you had to mail blank tapes to other traders to get those back. And this was an underground world, which was really exciting in a lot of ways of these treasure chests that were buried and the fact that like all of a sudden, like they started coming to light and you started seeing some of those perform live with the band. It was unbelievable. And that sort of, I don't want to say it escalated every tour, but every tour had with the possible and arguable exception of the rising tour, but that had a very specific story to tell. There were things that blew your mind out, like, or the sign requests, during the second half of the magic tour, all of those things, they blew your mind. You never thought you would see those. And there's been no mind blowing thing on this tour with the exception of Bruce Springsteen at 73, almost 74 playing three hour shows. And the, so I don't want my problem to finish. My first thought was not necessarily with the article or even the very idea of a static set list. It was the tone and the tenor of some of the comments being, when people were disappointed to say, shut up, Bruce knows best. And the problem I have with that is twofold is one is that Springsteen himself has always talked about this as a conversation. And if it's a conversation between him and his fans, that's going to apply. That's going to imply that it's a conversation between the fans too. It's supposed to be a community. At least that's that, that was the idea. And the idea of a community is that people get to voice their thing, their opinions, without and if they're legitimate opinions and i do think it's legitimate to say hey i'm really disappointed that we're seeing the same set list every night this is not broadway he's got the band out i wish i wish we got lonesome day which we finally did i wish we got songs that these band this band knows by heart like why can't this i think that's legitimate and i think the shut up bruce knows best response is like not in keeping with the fan community or even the artists that i've followed this my whole life I think 
yeah, I, I first off, Chris, I think that's very articulated very well. And one of the things that, you know, and I have offered this people who are angry with Bruce and they have not taken me up on it. There's a couple of people that are dying for tracks too and just are just complaining every time that Bruce has Alzheimer's or he's just working it through the process. And I'm like, that I think is a low blow. I just think that's, and I do think I perfectly agree. It's okay to be disappointed. And it's also, now I got lucky. I had tickets for Houston, Dallas, Austin. I had Tulsa, but ended up getting catching COVID at one of those three previous shows. So I missed, I got, if I was the priest twice, that's pretty, I feel, I feel like I've, okay, I've won rarity bingo, right? Like I, because I did get one of those moments. I'm very sad he dropped Burning Train because I would have loved to seen Burning Train live. I, if you want to start a, a letter campaign of play something from Western Stars, I'll sign up for it right away. Hey, Bruce, I'd love to do that. But there, I love the fact that we're able to have this polite conversation because we both love this guy's music and we're just talking about what what's going to please each other. Yeah, yeah. And like, in the end, this is, we're all doing this because it's something we care about, especially at this stage. Although I'm hearing about my friends who are going to the show because their kids are now of age and they want to bring their kids because they've heard about Bruce their whole life. And seven years since the last tour is a big seven years. Like somebody who was nine or 10 in the last tour who's yeah. 16, 17. Like now you, your kids are, they can engage in that. So I think that there's a lot of value in, and I'm, I understand intellectually that Bruce is out there saying, this is what I want the E Street Band to be saying right now. And we just saw from the last show in New Jersey that it there there can be some variations on that and still bring home the, the same message. But then, of course, there's the whole ticket price issue, which is something I'm disappointed in and will be disappointed in because time only moves in one direction. And like when those tickets went on sale and things, we all read the Backstreet's editorial, which I largely agreed with. We were like, this will be fixed. Obviously, this will be fixed because Bruce has always stepped in to fix this. And then when it didn't happen, it was, to me, disappointing because um, I have a very good friend who I won't name here because I I didn't tell him I was doing this, but he's very active in the Springsteen community, too. And he said, you have to separate the, the economics from the art. But to me, Bruce is a unique artist in that his art is tied up in economics, in that his art is largely about how the coldness of the American dream leaves people out of the party who leaves yeah. people out of uh, the people, the characters in Nebraska, the characters in you know, tons of them born in the USA are people who the cold machine of capitalism for it. This is not a political discussion, but the, the work is about that. And to see what I thought the ticket fiasco and i think everybody can agree with it It was a fiasco whether you blame bruce or not was an example of for the first time in his career in my opinion him not caring about the community and leaving and and acting in that capitalistic mode the i've made you rich enough to know to forget my name to paraphrase yeah and that, that to me was fundamentally 
disappointing in a real way. And I think that is probably driving a lot of the anger as well. And I'm I, to me, I see it as two separate things. If ticket prices were 2012 rates and he had a static set list, I think we would be having a different conversation. But I think that ticket prices are driving that that conversation in a way. My theory about that is that it once you spot the flaw in something, you can't unsee it, right? Yes. This starts out with, and I I just had someone on the podcast that said, and I'm repeating, so I don't know if this is fact. So I'm if you guys tell me I'm full of shit, I'll believe you. But they said there is a way, like with Pearl Jam, if you pay two twenty-five for a ticket and then you try to resell it. Ticketmaster will only let you sell it for two twenty five. You can't, mm-hmm. and so therefore that takes away the aftermarket of gouging, which is I don't blame Bruce for the ticket fiasco, but what I do blame him on is he is wealthy enough that he and and been in the business long enough that he should know I need to hire someone to tell me what's the right thing to say in this environment. Right. Like you, I'm from Dallas Cowboy. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. I'm from Dallas. Jerry Jones will always say the wrong thing. If you give him a chance, right. He just Jones, just, just, he does that. And that seemed very uncharacteristic of Bruce to just go flip it like, hey, we looked, we decided we're going to go with the going rates. And if anyone's unhappy, ask for your money on the way out. Because I know, and that just seems, oh, no, wait a minute, Bruce. Yeah. And I have a problem with ticket. You and I are at, you and I are at a concert together or we're at a restaurant, we're at a bar and you and I are having a good time. And I'm like, okay, I better take an Uber home. Okay. Surge pricing. It's going to say, Base price to go to your house is $15. This is currently four times. So you now have to pay, and I'm gonna do, not going to do the math right, $60. So I have a choice to go, no, I'm going to sit here and have another beverage with Chris, wait till surge pricing ends, or nope, I got to get home. Ticketmaster doesn't do that. It just says, oh, tickets are now $500. And oh, by the way, before you hit send, it's now $800, the exact same ticket. Yeah. And that is, that seems like we should be able to, that I expect my people to do what they can to fight that. That's exactly what I was going to say. There's no question who the real villain is here. Ticketmaster is a monopoly at this point. It's a terrible corporation. There, there is no way that this is morally justifiable, any of it. Springsteen has a very smart organization. John Landau is aware of everything and second to none in terms of running a business. And he had to be aware of the Pearl Jam system, for instance, or the U2 system. And the fact that they opted not to, to put some safeguards in place, which even Taylor Swift was at, was able to like cap tickets at a certain amount. I know Taylor Swift tickets go for a lot of money, but they were capped at a certain amount and any safeguard that's basically for a lifetime devote. And the reason Springsteen plays 
stadiums is because he has brought together a community of people who have support similar to the Grateful Dead. They're a community that believes in the ideal of the artist as much as the music itself. And to for the artist not to protect the fans in that that in that manner, like John Lando and all that was to me very disappointing. And I wish that being an 800 pound gorilla in the room, just as this ticket price surge pricing conversation yeah. was happening nationally, I wish that they had weighed in on behalf of the fans in a way that they didn't, in a way that Taylor Swift did, in a way that, oh my God, there there were some other artists out yeah. there that, that did in a way that I wish Springsteen had, because he does have the clout to to do things like that. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point. I don't know if, and I'm currently over a thousand episodes of this podcast, and I don't say that to brag. I just go, I don't know, is there another artist that has that kind of fan base and support to have that many guests still join me after eight years? There are still people that, like yourself that are kind enough to say, yeah, I'll talk Bruce. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I know the grateful dead certainly had a following that traveled with them and Taylor Swift absolutely has and lady Gaga and there's other people, right? Yeah. And you just, yeah, I agree with you there. I, I do wish that there was just, this could have been handled a lot better. I also think that, one of the things that hurts social media or hurts us is the social media of we're we don't have to be nice to each other because oh, I, totally I don't agree. see your face right i just i could say then don't let the door hit you or the good lord spit you chris we bruce will do fine without you goodbye absolutely yeah. And you're able to go, screw you. I've been to over a hundred shows and I've been a fan sitch. How dare you? And all of a sudden it's versus if we were in a, in a restaurant together, or even in a queue waiting for the show, yeah, we would be, Oh, that's an interesting thought, Chris. There's I don't stability. quite believe right. that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but with, on the internet, it's no, I have to be wrong. It's like being in traffic. Yeah. You can put the finger in traffic all the time where if you're on a grocery line, yeah. You would do that, but you're yeah. not looking people in the eye. And that's... Yeah, yeah. you don't tell the lady that's got 15 items and the 10 are under. You don't go to her and go, hey, lady, get your ass out of the line. Right. right? I counted. And we just go, it's, that's funny. Have you seen shows on this tour? I've only seen one. I Quite honestly, I've wrestled with this a lot. And I've only seen one. I, I don't know if I'm going to see more. I didn't go because I'm in Los Angeles now and any other tour, any other time I would have flown back for those three shows in Jersey, but I didn't mostly because like I said, I'm disappointed in the economics of this right now. And I'll, I will say this, even my living in Jersey, I even know, and I spend a lot of time down in the Asbury park area and around there. And I've had conversations with people in the organization. And I think to a large degree, the people in the organization aren't really, because I talked to, I had a, a long talk with one and they said, no, that the average price is $240. And this is at the beginning. These are when yeah. tickets were going for five grand. Yeah. And I said, that's 
patently untrue. Just get on Ticketmaster and try to find a ticket for $240. And they were like the average price. And I was maybe if you factor in all of the European stadiums and everything, maybe you could say that. But they have been told that from, I don't think the Springsteen family is sitting on Ticketmaster monitoring ticket prices. Yeah. And I want to give them the benefit of that, that the... Yeah that people are feeding them information that the pain of the fandom was not as bad as they had heard in the media. And I honestly believe that's the information they got. That said, though, it, it was still something that I, it just didn't sit right with me. So I didn't go to more than one show. I went to one. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, I understand I'm a big Jason Isbell fan. That's my new obsession, right? That's yeah, big- I haven't I. My first musical obsession right out of high school was Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys, just adored them, then discovered Bruce. And then I've had a couple of friends telling me I should check out the drive by truckers and Jason Isbell. And he was coming to Austin. So I went, okay, I'm going to go. And so about three weeks before I went to the show in Austin, I did nothing but just listen to his music. And I went, holy crap what have I been missing? Because I'd heard Nashville and I'd heard reunions, but I hadn't engulfed myself in it. Right. He's and right. I'm like, yeah. And he is an angry man on Twitter, right? He yeah. gives no, he, he puts up with no fools and does not care. He tells people good. You don't like my politics. I don't want you at my show. Right. Little Steven has little patience. And I, I think that, has made it worse as well that when someone is saying says it the wrong way to steven and he's like why are you counting songs what are you doing this is a different era and then belittles him and then there's blood in the water for all the internet right i agree with you to a degree at the same time i think because he's so forward facing that he has left feeling the heat of the fan frustration for the entire organization because he's the one out there. So I think he loses his patience, but yes, I agree that changes the tenor of the conversation for sure. And uh, yeah. And I think you said, right. I'm not saying he's not right, wrong to do it. Right. I'm tired of this crap because I'm the only one answering it. Yeah. Yeah, He took a lot of heat on the ticket prices on the set because he's the person who's on Twitter who answers people. So yeah, he does. Yeah. So are you he is coming to los angeles again bruce isn't he yeah yeah so i, I think i'm gonna go to those shows okay i think i'm gonna go to those. even shows. if the set list doesn't change much yeah just because even look i saw broadway twice and it was a different show with the same songs yeah you know well said. Uh, a year apart it was still a different show because because there's something about the way the songs speak to the audience changes. Yeah, I don't know. It's that magic. Hey, Thunder Road is a different song now than it was 10 years ago. It's the same song, but it's a different song. And you catch up with those songs down the road and they still mean something different. And I love the show I saw. I really did. But there was something about that early, all the ugliness of how much it cost. Yes. Person to get into those shows that made me take a step back. And like I said, I've been to somewhere between two and 300 before that. I was like, It just, it didn't sit right with me, so. Yeah, I think that's a valid concern. The other thing I think is interesting, I had a guest say that if the shows had not been announced and they had given you this 
set list that it's basically been and you'd given that to a person and not told them it was going to be the same thing every night they'd go wow that's a pretty good show it's a Man, great show. he's done a lot of diversity on that absolutely the first time i ever heard him play kitty's back i screamed at the top of my lungs and that song has never lost its power and if you told me in i don't know 1999 that kitty's back would be in the set every night I've lost, lose my mind. It's an amazing song. So what's funny, I, I have Chris, no with the songs yeah, in there. Yeah, I get that. So I bear with me. Like I'm not a fan of Kitty's Back. I just yeah, I know a lot of people are. It's my so, one of my favorites. We're there at the show on Dallas. It's the first show of the tour, and my son and wife are there. And on the way back, we're in the car driving, and Chris and Linda go. What was that song that was like we were in a jazz club where there was all the musical back and forth? I said, Kitty's back. Yeah, yeah. I really like that show. And I said, I feel like I have to do a public apology to Kitty's back. Because after hearing that live version, I am sorry I ever said bad about Kitty's back. That's so funny. Because it was just so amazing. Yeah, it really is. There was an old... Do you remember old the old Cream magazine? Sure. Uh, they had a Springsteen compilation issue that came out, I want to say in 84. And I had that. And it was um, reviews of Springsteen shows and albums by everybody from Dave Marsh to Lester Bangs and stuff, like up until Born in the USA. And what kept popping up in all of their early reviews was Kitty's Back. And I got this during the Born in the USA, which you never... Like, we never expected to hear that song again. Born in the USA and Tunnel of Love. I never thought I would ever hear that song ever again. And it made me so angry that I kept reading about the highlight. But you can imagine if you saw Kitty's Back in a club, what that must have been like to hear the band soloing for 20 minutes and stuff like that. It probably had a different effect than in a stadium. The other thing I find funny, and I'm now we're just having fun, right? is Johnny 99 getting a little bit of grief. People are like, yeah. why are we still doing Johnny? And I go back, you're going to get a band version of Johnny 99. Really? <laughs> wow. But it's familiarity can breed contempt. It is okay. Yeah, that's hilarious. What are some of your favorite album songs? What are things that you go to on a routine basis, Chris? I really love Land, and Hope and Land of Hope and Dreams. I really love that song. That's what I'm disappointed he's not playing. That's one of my favorite Me too. songs. I think yeah. if there's a summational song, yeah, that might be it. And I know it's past what some people call the classic era, but that song is the one that hit me the hardest is like that sums up everything. And- I think I had a friend say this land of hope and dreams and American land are what some people think born in the USA is about. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I also love Born in the USA. I, I never get sick of Born in the USA somehow. It's yeah. probably his, it's, it's not his most overplayed song. I don't know if anything could be, but it's obviously out there in the culture and has been since the day it debuted. But so, I never get sick of that song. Here's my Born in the USA story. So we were in Houston. This was during the High Hopes era. And he played a little over three hours. That was the night that, he was supposed to open This Is Your Sword. Oh, yeah. And instead he did Seeds. 
Yep. And I'd already heard seeds once. And so I was bitter because I wanted if I was your sword. But anyway, so it's after the show. And this was an outdoor venue. And we were outside the concession area. And I'd gone to the bathroom, gotten out. I was waiting for my wife. And there was this very drunk lady, Chris. Is it over? Yeah, show's over. It's over? Yeah. He played a little over three hours. But he didn't play Born in the USA. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't always play Born in the USA. But it's his biggest song. I know. He just doesn't always. Ever since then, anytime he plays Born in the USA, I pull out my phone and I say, somewhere there's a drunk lady in Houston very happy. That's And you forget because we are one community that like yeah. there are people who go to the shows just to hear that just that that's it and they're shocked that they don't hear it exactly yeah what are your thoughts of letter to you the cover album just quite honestly i can't believe i'd ever be at a place where i'd say a springsteen album is not for me but the cover album is not for me and i love those songs individually with all my the original versions with all of my heart all of them yeah. I, I love those songs so much, but, and they're not bad versions of the songs. I just, there was nothing about the, the, the those performances that I think were necessary or spoke to me. Um, and I think that's the key. I loved it. I thought it was fun, but then I'm a little bit of Homer, but I do agree that often you're a cover needs to give a little twist and an emotional thing that the original doesn't perfect right johnny cash highway patrolman i yeah. think johnny cash just make johnny cash and hurt for that matter yeah. i guess every johnny cash is the only one that should do cover songs yeah, no. he can't do any wrong yeah, yeah go ahead no i was just agreeing you with yeah. you johnny cash, yeah uh, almost never steered me wrong ever yeah, yeah. um but yet, no, like there was just something I, but letter to you, again, if you went back to that, when I first got my driver's license, I couldn't wait to drive to a record store in Pennsylvania that had the Laurel Canyon demos, a bootleg of that. And that's the first time I heard if I was the priest. And if you had told me that, what is it, 30, 40 years down the line, that the E Street Band would not only be putting that out on an album, but playing it live, my head would have exploded. Yeah. Um, so I, I love that record for that, but I also, I love Burning Train and I love, I love some of the new stuff. There was a, the, a bit in the middle of the album, the House of a Thousand Guitars and that, that thing that didn't quite speak to me the way it spoke to some fans. But I also, I just can't get over the fact that Willie Nile has a song called House of a Thousand Guitars and I can't get over that they have the same title, but uh but Western Stars, I thought, was a near masterpiece. And I think Hello Sunshine is, I'm not kidding, one of the top 10 songs he's ever written. I think Stones is up there, too. Yeah. I, those songs are unbelievably beautiful to me. Yeah. And, I, and great. Yeah. I, you and I both talked, right? Like, I would have just, I, I wanted something from Western Stars. I had, when I was putting together, a dream set list. I had him doing three from Western stars. Um, I, I, I thought on train. Yeah. I figured Tucson train. Steven had already done it with his band. Right. Just, that's a slam dunk, right? Just get right. that going. Yeah. That's awesome. Anything I should have asked you that I haven't Chris. I can't think of anything. Any final thoughts before we get to the Mary question. 
no, I think I said everything. I think I said is all the the negative stuff that I wanted to. It's it is bittersweet, and I'm having a hard time um, reconciling my. It, it feels like I've been hurt by a family member, and I know that sounds insane, but I think this is a community that understands that. Where I I'm disappointed in um in someone who I've put a lot of belief in and cynics and there's cynics on Twitter in the very thread we started talking in and we we're like ah. Bruce has publicists who made you think he's a man of the people. Shut up. And I, I, I don't want to believe in that. I don't want to believe I th- that's, yeah. a, that's a cynical act. And that's why it does hurt me that um, some of these managerial and decisions that came in the last couple of years have been, I think, hurtful to the fan community. It's doubly hurtful because I do believe in that community. And I believe in the community that music has I dreamed up that land of hope and dreams for for all these years and and i hope that that could be made right somehow that's all chris i'll i'll echo for example maureen ryan just put out a new book about the industry and she had a whole article about how bad people were treated on lost and and i was huge fan of the show and the uh, and why am I drawing a blank on the creator who also did HBO's Watchmen, right? Anyway, and to even further, huge Josh Whedon fan. Yeah. Right. I, and now that I'm like, yeah. Oh, did yeah. And I, I've said this. I've never understood like when I like how can you still be a fan of Woody Allen movies like right. this guy? And then you're like. Oh, wait. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, obviously not the same thing, obviously. But and for everybody who will bring up Woody Allen, I'll I'll go to Michael Jackson. The trust the art, not the artists. And that's that's something that's been said by Springsteen. I'm sure the the Shrine Auditorium from 1990. We love you, Bruce. And he shoots back. You don't really know me. That's a ballsy thing for an artist to say. But that's what that's part of one of the reasons I believed in this guy's different. We, David Lindoff, by the way, is the guy. Thank you. Yes. But yeah, I'm like, I feel like we know him. I feel like we know him. And, and so I I really appreciate you spending time with me and for us to have a respectful conversation because the truth is we love the man. We love his music. And when someone lets us down. Yeah. We put people on pedestals with whether we mean to or not. And I remember this is when this on a, I'm going to ask you a mirror question, but but I, I, one of my best friends is a very staunch Republican, very staunch conservative. And someone said, how can you even be friends with him? And I said, because when I was in the hospital with colon cancer, he went to the hospital every night. My wife needed to get home early so she could rest. And he sat there till I fell asleep it didn't matter that he had to go to work in the next day. Right. You know what? That trumps politics. I, Land of Hope and Dreams got me through many a tough time. And while I'm disappointed, maybe that the set list isn't changing enough or that tickets were really expensive and that Bruce and his management team didn't do as much as they could with Ticketmaster. It's never going to stop that Land of Hope and Dreams has brought me joy and comfort when I needed it. Same. It's so part of, I, I I got to meet the guy twice and both times I stammered out something 
But what I said, I think the first time I met him is that those songs have, they become inseparable from my own thoughts and feelings. I don't know where that influence ends and my own family's influence begins. It's so ingrained in, in who I am and the person I vote I am and the person I want to be and all of these things. Yeah, there's no denying that. There's not. It's fundamental. It really yeah. is. That's said. All right. If you are checking out this podcast, thank you for listening. And if you were on the side of, yeah, I'm disappointed in Bruce. Chris did a great job articulating y'all's thoughts, but I end every podcast with a merry question. Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher that is now retired, but when he was teaching, he would give his high school seniors the lyrics to Thunder Road, would ask them to read it. They would review it as if it was a poem. And then at the end of the day, he would ask his class the question, does Mary get in the car? So, Chris, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I think unequivocally, yes. But I also have the benefit of not being a student who knows the rest of the catalog. And I'm sure you read that that Dave Marsh book, Glory Days, in the 80s when it came out, like I did. And then Springsteen later talked about like these characters being recurring characters over and over again even if they're not literally. So I don't know if Mary, if that Mary is literally the Mary in the river and literally the Mary who loses her husband in the rising. Um, I don't know if that's literally the same person, but almost certainly figuratively, those characters have come up again and they've dealt with, with those issues as that music and life progressed. And I think knowing that what I do about, I'll say this, at the very beginning of the, it starts with Thunder Road. It starts with that piano acoustic version. And Springsteen said he started it because it sounded like the start of something. And I think the start of something is that that girl getting in that car and going on that ride. That's the start of something. So I think she's definitely getting in that car. Great answer. I love that answer. Someone brought up the fact that when the character in racing in the street says she sits on her daddy's porch that was probably the porch that she danced across yeah yeah and one of my favorite answers is she gets in the car they move to california and moonlight motel is him mourning her oh damn yeah exactly i was like damn okay make the rest of us look bad what a great answer both of those are great answers yeah and my other go ahead I was just going to say those songs are richer because of the songs that preceded them. No, we feel like we've known those characters, not even the musician, but those characters. You feel like yeah. they're, they've grown with you. So the other one I love is the guy said, depends. If it's the E Street band doing, she absolutely gets in the car because it ends with this triumph. Mm-hmm. If it's Bruce doing it solo, nope, but she doesn't get in the car. And that's why Bruce just ends it. And I said, I love that answer. Yeah, that's so. actually really... That's a really good because because those songs you're right the songs do change if yeah then they not yeah in fact if you listen to a version with the full band and then you listen just him acoustic with a guitar you absolutely could feel that he's driving be- away and yeah. on yeah oh that born in there to run outtake the acoustic outtake that there's yeah. no way she's gotten in the car in that version he sounds exactly haunted. yeah but to go back to born in the USA like. The version on that was recorded for Nebraska that that made it to tracks. Yeah. That version doesn't have 
I think Born in the USA is so powerful because it's such a, like we're talking about it, it's, it sounds like hurt and it sounds like something you believed in not meeting your ideals, but, and at the same time, having a pride from where you come from, but that solo acoustic version, that's just devastation. The songs do take on different meanings depending on, so yeah, that's really well said. Yeah. I love that. If someone wants to reach you, how can they, Chris? I'm, it's a long story, but I'm Bedhead Chicken on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. It's actually a Sopranos related nickname, but but yeah, that's where I am. And all right, love to say hi to anybody. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, me. I hope you, you had thank fun. You, you. I very much did. This is great. Good, Good deal. All right. Listeners, stay safe. Be kind. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Bye. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.